Listen now as I read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. This is what Holy Scripture says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's open there to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. You may be familiar with the story of Corey Tenboom. Uh, Corey was uh, taken prisoner as a Dutch citizen in World War II, imprisoned by the Nazis in that horrid Ravensbrück concentration camp. And while both her father and her sister died in that camp, she was remarkably released and years later providentially given the opportunity to love her former enemy, uh, the very Nazi camp guard who came to her at a public speaking appearance and asked for her forgiveness, which she gave. Now, how does a woman who has lost so much at the hands of this particular man find it possible to forgive him? And more importantly, why did she do it? And I would suggest to you the answers found in this particular text. Look again at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now this teaching of Jesus is found in what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And part of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is correcting the twisted teaching of the Pharisees. One of the very best ways to, to twist the Bible is, your local cult person will show you this, is to just simply quote part of a verse. Now, what did the original verse say uh, that the Pharisees are, are using here? Well, if you go back to Leviticus 19.18, remember we saw this a couple of weeks ago, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. What happens then when you omit the end of that verse, the way the, the, the way the Pharisees did it here, so that it says, you shall love your neighbor? When you chop off, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord, you accomplish two things. You, you detach the command from its motivation to be like the Lord, and you remove the command from its ideal 
to, to love with the same level of commitment as you love yourself. And to make matters even worse, what happens when you attach something original to that now edited verse, especially something that's not in the Bible like hate your enemies? When you lop off part of the truth and insert your own ideas, you get this, verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I want to be very clear, the command to hate your enemy is not in the Old Testament. I mean, there were specific time-limited, time-specific commands to, to attack certain enemies, to remove certain enemies. Even times God was judging certain enemies, but there is never a command to hate all enemies. In fact, there were plenty of Old Testament commands about how to just, justly treat your captured enemy, even to care for an enemy's lost cattle that wanders onto your land until you can get it back to him again. And so what Jesus is addressing here in Matthew chapter 5 is really the kind of lame, man-made idea that's floating around at the time of his ministry. That's why Jesus does not say, it is written. Instead, he says, you have heard that it was said. That's a good lesson for you and I. Open the book. Read the words of the text. See what is written, not what you vaguely think it says. Be people of the book. And so in this particular teaching of Jesus, when he begins it, he's not quoting uh, the the Bible. He's he's quoting man-made ideas. But human ideas always gain traction when they sound kind of right, right? Right? when they appeal to our preferences or our common sense. And there's part of the PSV, the Pharisee Standard Version, that sounds really okay. Love your friends and hate your enemies. That, that sounds about right. We say, bingo, that must be the truth. And Jesus says, not bingo. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Instead of hating your enemy, love him. Instead of hating your persecutor, pray for him. And if you look at Luke's uh, summary of this teaching, Luke adds a couple more things. Instead of hating your hater, do good to him. Instead of cursing your cursor, bless him. Instead of abusing your abuser, pray for him. This is Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And I I want you to feel something of the radical nature of Jesus' teaching. Love your enemies. Not just people you find awkward or difficult. Love your enemies. This is the teaching of the gospel. A couple of weeks ago, we heard a Pharisee who asked Jesus the question, who's my neighbor? And I'd like to ask the question, who's my enemy? That's in fact gonna be the first of four questions I'll ask of this text. The first one is this, who is my enemy? And the answer to that question is really very easy. Your enemy is anybody who persecutes, curses, or abuses you. (laughs) That's how it's defined here. Or if you want a dictionary.com definition, an enemy is a person who feels hatred for you, fosters harmful designs against you, or engages in antagonistic activities against you. It is your adversary, your opponent. 
which means an enemy might be across a field shooting a gun at you, or an enemy might be across the kitchen shooting unkind words at you. Either way, the command is love that enemy. That takes me to question two. What does it mean to love? Now, we've seen over the last weeks that the core, the essence of love is to do good to another, usually in a way that requires you to take initiative. You have to initiate it, and usually in a way that costs you something. Love is affectionate benevolence. It's it's feeling and action. It's, it's more than a feeling, but not less than such. It involves actions and words, but it's not just actions and words. Jesus commands us to have this affectionate benevolence toward your enemy. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said when he was preaching through this text. He said, he notes the fact that Jesus does not command us to like our enemies, but rather to love our enemies. And he expands at great length why this is important, saying that, you know, like is, a, is an expression of fraternity and friendship, uh, uh, and not every relationship we're in affords that opportunity. We're friends with some people, and there's other people we generally like, but we're not really friends with. Well, how do you explain all that? Lots of factors into that. He says, Jesus does not say, like your enemies. He says, to love your enemies. And the thing about Christian love is that it can be directed to anyone. And in this sense, you're not necessarily under an obligation to like the person that you are called to love. I mean, if someone's belittling my wife, publicly speaking against her, I will probably not like them. They are my enemy. But I can love them. Love will control my response to that enemy. Love is going to filter my words and direct my actions. I may not like the person, but I can love them. And it is this great ideal that you and I are to be pursuing all the time, to truly love others, but especially to love those who seek our harm. Thomas Watson drew a great illustration of this from the time, uh, do you remember when Elijah was challenging the prophets of Baal and he built his altar and then built a water moat around it and he poured water on his sacrifice until it was soaked and then he filled up the moat with water? And still when Elijah calls, fire comes down from heaven which burns up everything, the altar, the the sacrifice, all the water, everything is burned up, even the water in the moat, in the ditch. And Thomas Watson says, Christ's love for us is like that fire. It burns where, and here's the quote, it burns where there's no fit matter to work upon. Water is supposed to put fires out. Fire is not supposed to get burned up, consumed with water. But that, that fire did that action. It consumed that water. So love, true love, burns where there's no fit matter to work upon. Nothing in the person that ignites or kindles your love. When we love an enemy, we express really the truest of all loves, that that unsolicited, unearned, undeserved love, a love that burns up the water of all their evil against us. 
There's nothing in them that deserves that love, that ignites that love. Just like there was nothing drenching us but the filthy water of our own sins when God loved us. Who's the water to your fire? Who really bothers you? Who's your enemy? Who's out to harm you? Are you seeking to love them? If that seems impossible, I remind you of Romans chapter 5, verse 10. While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. No people were more vile, more repulsive, more antagonistic than us, and no one was more pure, more holy, and more righteous than Jesus, and yet Jesus loved us while we were his enemies. Love your enemies. This is the command. This is what Jesus did. It's what you must do. Now you might say, well, I cannot and I will not love my enemy. And if you say that, this could be evidence that you're not really a Christian. You will never love your enemies until you recognize what an enemy you were to God. And once you begin to see that, you will look to the one whom you have offended and you have antagonized with your whole life, and you may begin to ask the question, God, is there, is there a love for me? And if you ask that question from your heart of hearts, you will hear the answer, yes, there is. If you turn from all your sins and put all your trust in my son, he loves sinners, he loves the weak, he loves the ungodly, and when they repent, he clothes them in his righteousness and strengthens them by his grace and declares them to be godly forever. Have you repented of your sins and called on the God of love to save you? If not, do it now. You might even begin your prayer with that question, Oh God, is there enough love for me? And if you pray it earnestly, friend, you will hear yes. You know, in this complex season of many opinions, it is maybe worth pointing out that there's, there's a gradation here. If, if you have to love your enemy, then it only follows that you need to love Everybody else who fits in your relational spectrum, from friend to frenemy to enemy, they all deserve to be loved. In fact, if you've been thinking about this through our little series on love, then you will realize that the love command, the command upon us to love, encompasses everyone we come in contact with. Love one another. That means all the Christians. Love the lost. That means everybody else. The human race divides into two. There are people who love Jesus and there are people who do not. And you're called to love all of them. So that means every single human soul. And in some ways, this is what it means to be a Christian to love everybody, even your enemy. When they slander, you speak words seasoned with grace. When they throw things at you, you duck, and you don't throw things back. When they swear, you bless. When they scream, you pray. Why? That takes me to question number three. Why should we love our enemy? Look at verse 43 again. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that 
you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Love your enemies so that you will be like the God who saved you. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Anything less than loving your enemies is not like God. How do we know that for sure? We know it for sure because of what comes next, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's his sun. He does with it what he pleases. He causes that, those sunbeams to come down on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Have you ever noticed that even though God loves you, Christian, so much that he saved you by the death and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ, he doesn't give your lawn more rain than your atheist neighbor's lawn? Have you ever noticed that Christian farmers don't get better crops than Hindu farmers? In this text, Jesus is rooting this common grace of God to send rain and to send sunshine. In other words, to give all people everywhere all that they need to live and to work. Jesus roots all of that in the love God has for the world. God sends rain on the Muslim nations. God sends his son on the Buddhist lands. He keeps gravity operating properly for atheists everywhere. It is all because of his great love, which means if you and I are going to name the name of God, if we're going to publicly identify with Jesus, then you had better learn to be like him and to do the same as him, which means to love your enemies. You would have a very difficult time believing me uh, that, I would, that I was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan if all I ever did every day was wear Montreal Canadien jerseys. <laughs> and so people ought to question whether or not we are actually Christians if we only love the people we agree with and hate those who hate us. That's not Christian. Prove it to you. Look at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, category of unbelief, do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, unbelievers, do not even the Gentiles do the same. Or maybe we could change that a little bit to reflect our reality. If you love those who agree with your politics, what reward do you have? Do not even those of the other party do the same? And if you greet only those who share your COVID convictions, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the talk show hosts do the same? Our standard for love is astronomically higher than liking people who agree with us. Love your enemies, love your frenemies, love one another, don't cancel anybody, love them because this is one of the single most godlike things of all. That's the why. Number four, here's the how. How can we love an enemy? You know, the answer to this is really very simple. What did Jesus do for his enemies while they nailed his physical limbs to a cross? What did he do? He prayed for them. 
Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Prayed for an enemy. I've had my share of enemies. Some from outside of our church have been particularly cruel and I would say hateful, spiteful. And yet I have found that praying for them has enabled me to love them, even though I very much dislike what they are doing. I was thinking about love with a group of brothers from this church recently, and one thing every single guy pointed out in the discussion was that a way to love others, a way to start loving enemies in particular, is to pray for them. If you're not praying for your enemy, it's very unlikely you will love your enemy. And if you do pray for an enemy, it becomes increasingly difficult to not love them. So I don't think it's an accident that the love command includes this call to pray. Verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. We're expressly commanded here to do it. Prayer is where love for enemies always begins. Luke chapter 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, pray for those who abuse you. Now that word abuse is here. I just want to note that the command to pray for our abusers is not an excuse for those abusers to keep on abusing. If, if you're harming other people, physically, emotionally, sexually, stop. It's sin. It is dreadful sin, which God will judge you for if you do not repent. And repent means stop. It means don't ever do it again. And if you're being abused physically, emotionally, sexually, tell your abuser to stop. Then call the police. Call your elders. Don't let anybody convince you that they have a right to harm you. That is not true. You do not deserve to be struck or violated in any way. It is sin. But even when you call the police, call your elders, and you watch human justice marching forward with your abuser, even then, you can pray for him. You may never like them, but you can actually choose to love them. That's how radical Christian love is. Corey Ten Boom loved her enemy, but she could tell stories of many others who did the same. She was traveling, speaking in Africa one time. She met a man with bandaged hands and asked him what had happened to him and learned that his hands had been terribly burned in, in a fire. He was helping to put the fire out in his neighbor's grass hut. But upon further questioning, she learned more. The neighbor's hut was on fire because the neighbor had snuck over, a non-Christian man had snuck over in the middle of the night and lit the Christian man's hut on fire, trying to kill him and burn him to death. The Christian man awoke, saw the flames, was extinguishing his fire, but the sparks flew over to his neighbor's hut, his enemy's hut, and it started on fire, and so he went over there and put out that fire too. Love your enemies. 
If you've had an enemy, a, a real enemy, you can love them. You can pray for them. You can even say, Father, forgive them. You don't have to like them or even approve of their actions, but in every case, you can love them. Let's pray together. Our Father, this standard of love is so very high that all of us feel, who are we to live this way? But you have told us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so we pray for a fresh outpouring and renewing by your Holy Spirit so that our lives in our church, first of all, from our, from our families to our membership to, to our entire community, to our, to our atheistic neighbors and, and those who are even our enemies, we pray that love might flow to them all through us because of you. Help us to be more concerned about being like you than getting revenge. Grant us, Lord, greater confidence in your ways than in man's ways. Don't allow us to be inventive with your word, adding things that aren't there, ignoring things that are but let the truth of Jesus' command to us here, let that truth direct how we live. Make us people who love our enemies. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.